You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Imago Dei, Latin for the image of God. A wonderful, beautiful, powerful doctrine that explains the nature and purpose of all humanity. A truth and a doctrine that you could argue has never been more needed when so many, the stats are in, when so many are so confused and lost. Imago Dei is a truth that is eternal, immutable. It is life-changing. It saturates a soul with indestructible purpose. Imago Dei, what it means to be made in the image of God. The verses that are the foundation for our entire series and this entire doctrine are found right in the beginning of the Word of God. So please turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 in your Bibles. We'll be looking primarily at verses 26 and 27 and also looking at some other verses, of course, as well as we go through this series. We're going to be starting simple today. Our goal today is to lay a foundation of sorts for the weeks to come. Today is going to be a combination of teach and preach. If I can use this term, it's a primer of sorts in this series. Again, we're looking at the elementary principles of this incredible doctrine to set us up, we pray, for a lifetime of transformation, education, inspiration in what God teaches. Let me say from the outset too, as a supplement to this series, we have a resource page attached to this series on our website that just launched this morning, which is a plethora of materials and authors some, again, resources you can use to further your education as you are intrigued and want to grow in this critically important doctrine, again, Imago Day in our day, okay? Resource page, we're going to point that to you all the way along. You can go there today, check it out, carefully chosen. I personally have been so encouraged in weeks and months and years by the resources that we're offering to you there as well, all right? So let's get started today, as I said, in some ways simple, but in some ways very profound. We're going to answer a couple of questions today. Here's the first question where we start right from the beginning. What is Imago Dei? What is Imago Dei? Fundamentally, we got to listen carefully today because, again, there's a lot of content coming at us, okay? Fundamentally, Imago Dei refers to the fact that the human race has been created in the image of God and thereby has been granted a particular likeness to God himself. Let's put that definition up on the screen for us now. I want you to see that. Again, there's a lot to take in there. Imago Dei refers to the fact that the human race has been created in the image of God and thereby has been granted a particular likeness to God himself. So let's look at Genesis 1 now, verses 26 to 27. I trust your Bibles are open. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish and the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Notice male and female he created them. 
at the core of what the Bible teaches here about mankind. Again, such an important verse. Verse 27 on the screen for you here. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. So what's so important to recognize here, loved ones, in the Genesis account is in verse 26 it says, Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. What we need to see here is that up until this point in Genesis chapter 1, God has been making the heavens and the earth and all living things. With each part of creation, God has said, let there be, let there be, let there be. In fact, it's a tenfold statement leading up to verse 26, where God said as he created, let there be. But notice now in verse 26, all of a sudden the thrust changes. All of a sudden, God's wording changes from let there be to let us make. Let us make man in our image. So the emphasis here and the breaking of the rhythm thus far in the Hebrew in Genesis chapter 1 is unmistakable. What God is showing us right here, immediately what he does is he separates the creation of mankind from the rest of creation. Immediately and instantly, humanity here in verse 26 and verse 27 becomes the pinnacle of God's creation because humanity alone has been made in the image of God. Humanity alone are God's image bearers. You shouldn't have to turn a page. I want you to look at Genesis 2, verse 7 as well. Look at Genesis 2, verse 7. Only in man is this spoken of where it says, God, did he breathe into his nostrils the breath of life? That is said of no other aspect of creation. No other animal, no other living thing, of course. Only in humanity did God breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. That's why we sing, right? It's your breath in our lungs. And we pour it our praise. We pour it our praise. It's your breath in our lungs that you breathe into us. That we were created and designed now to pour out our praise to God. Now when we look at Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. We see the word image and likeness. These are very important. Both image and likeness in the Hebrew speak of resemblance. The word for image has the meaning of something that is carved out or cut out of. After our likeness means much the same. It's defining man as like God, though not divine. As like God, though not divine. A number of quotes I want you to see here again as we go through this. The first one here by John Calvin in explaining the image of God, which in some ways is simple, in some ways is incredibly complex. Man resembles him, and that in him God's glory is contemplated as in a mirror. Here's what another commentator says about this. We can go to the next slide. Richard Phillips, he says this. The same language of this is used in Genesis 5.3 when Adam has a son. And here's what the text says. He fathered a son in his own likeness after his image. And so what Richard Phillips concludes here, he says, just as Seth bore resemblance to his father, so Adam did to God. So he wants to pause, wants to take that in for a second, start to feel the weight of what it means to be made in the image of God. We have a third quote here I want you to see too by John Piper. 
He says this in seeking to define, again, what it means to be made in the image of God. The imago Dei is not a quality possessed by man. That's important here. It is not a quality possessed by man. This is key. It is a condition in which man lives. A condition of confrontation established and maintained by the Creator. He says, the Imago Dei is that. This is key, so listen carefully. The Imago Dei is that in man which constitutes him as him whom God loves. No other aspect of creation can claim that. Every single human being ever born, again, this is their title. This is their reality. The condition of being the image bearers of God, they whom God loves. Again, I I hope we're starting to feel the weight. Some of this we're wrestling through. That's totally okay. There's a lot coming down right now. That's totally okay too. We're going to take some time to digest and think and pray through this as well. Holy Spirit, give us understanding. So we're beginning to unpack what is Imago Dei. And this leads us to our second question, which is really a furthering understanding of question one, answered in question two. Question two is this. What are the implications now then of Imago Dei? What are the implications? We're going to answer this question with four responses. They will be on the screen for you. The first response of what are the implications of Imago Dei is this. It has to do with our relationship with God. Our relationship with God. So one of the most astounding realities of Imago Dei is that mankind was created to be in relationship with God. Genesis 1 and 2, you have the living God, God Almighty, the sovereign God of the universe. He is interacting, he is pursuing, he is speaking to, he is engaging in harmonious relationship with his created, again, uh, humanity in male and female. Just awesome. It's, it's, It's just a wonder. Again, no other aspect of creation can claim such things. It's Ecclesiastes that says that God has put eternity into every man's heart. Ecclesiastes 3.11. So think about it then. For all the animal lovers out there, and by the way, during COVID, dog sales have skyrocketed. We understand that. People are looking for things to do, right? But just think, okay? Just think. Ready? God has not placed eternity within Sparky. Okay? He hasn't. You have to know that, okay? Dogs, animals. Animals do not pursue a relationship with God. Well, animal lovers, no offense, okay? No offense, okay? But God is not pursuing an eternal relationship with your goldfish, okay? No emails about animals this week. Thank you so much, right? You're understanding. I'm just telling you what the Bible says right here as well. But rather, God is pursuing a relationship with you. Some of you right now, you're watching, like, how did I even get here? And the Lord Almighty, the God of the universe, is pursuing you right now through his truth, love, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is that so? It's so because you and I, as humans, every single human has been made in the image of God. Now, you know I love nature shows. If you've been attending this church for any period of time, the nature show illustration ends up in some way or another in a sermon over the course of the months. It's going to happen again right now. I love nature souls, but listen, when a lion wakes up in the morning, he's not contemplating the philosophy of life. He's not. The only thing on his mind is ripping the flesh off a wildebeest, right? That's the only thing he's focused on doing. Because again, he doesn't know anything else. I think that's fair, isn't it? I mean, just think about it. Listen, loved ones. 
From the moment of that first sin in Genesis chapter 3, God has been pursuing humanity to be restored back to him and what he originally created again in the perfection and the harmony between God and man in the Garden of Eden. He's not doing that for polar bears in the Arctic. He's not. As great as those animals are and wonderful and magnificent. The only thing they're worried about today is hunting down and killing a seal for dinner, right? I mean, that's what's happening there. Listen, Jesus died for those who have souls. Animals do not have souls. Only human beings have souls. Because we have been made in the image of God. God pursues those who bear his image. And his image bears, listen, they will be restless. As human beings, image bearers of God, we will be restless until we find our rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of you right now are restless as we speak today. You are restless today. You've never found true satisfaction. You've never been at peace or rest And you're hearing the answer today again. Because you are an image bearer of God, God pursues you, loves you, and desires to save you by his son. Implications of Imago Dei, our relationship with God. Secondly, as you saw, our relationship with creation. Just briefly here. Look again at Genesis 1 verse 26. Notice the result of man being made in God's image. Notice, they are given dominion. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish, the birds, the livestock, over the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So the incredible implication here is that man is granted the authority by God to rule over creation on behalf of God. So humanity, as God's royal servants, are to rule the earth in the stewardship and the standards of God. Again, just by comparison, think about it. This is why the elephants of the world are not gathering to discuss climate change. They can't. It's just impossible, but human beings are, not to mention so many other things pertaining to the stewardship of our world because we have been made in the image of God, have been given dominion again by God to stewardship, again, the care and and the rule over the things of this earth. Here's our third response, the implications of Imago Dei, our intrinsic value. This truth of Imago Dei is immensely important. We'll spend a little bit more time on this one. It's so beautiful and so powerful. It becomes the irrefutable doctrine of the God-given worth or value that is placed in every single human being that ever lived. Think about it. Because we are made in the image and likeness of God, we are able to gasp at the beauty of the mountains. We are able to stand in awe at a star-dusted sky. We can study and wonder in the complexity and the beauty of the animal kingdom. But what the doctrine of Imago Dei teaches us, that we as human beings, every single human being who's ever lived, are more like our creator than any other aspect of creation. Wayne Grudem, he says this, We are the culmination of God's infinitely wise and skillful work of creation. We truly are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Loved ones, take this to heart as an individual right now, where you are, how discouraged you might be, how worthless at times others might speak down to you, or even the enemy coming along and trying to make you feel that you are nothing. Hear this, you are the culmination of God's infinitely wise and skillful work of creation. You as an individual, humanity as a collective. Let that humble you. Let that encourage you. Let it also heighten the dignity and the value that we all possess as God's image bearers. Again, unquestionably, we are the pinnacle of all creation. It doesn't make us proud. It should humble us in the reality of God's glory that he seeks to see from our lives for him. Designed by God. And then our purpose then, of course, is to glorify God. Designed by God, created by God to glorify God. Let that be your first thought every day as you wake up. I am the pinnacle of God's creation, designed for my purpose in God and to glorify God. How's that for a mission statement for your life? Every single human being ever, that's your ultimate purpose fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And one of the key passages in this regard of what we're speaking of is also found in Genesis 9-6. We saw the image of God mentioned in Genesis 1. In Genesis 5 it's mentioned. And a third time it's mentioned in Genesis is Genesis 9-6. On the screen for you now, take a look. It says this. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. So what this is powerfully teaching is that humans, even in their sinful state, remember, Genesis 9-6, post-fall, they are still made in the likeness of God to the point of what this is teaching us here, that to murder another human being is to attack the part of creation that most resembles God and therefore, it betrays an attempt or a desire to attack God himself in some way. Say that again, summarizing. Murder becomes an attempt or an attack to murder another person that most resembles God. Therefore, it's actually an attack or an attempt, again, to seek to attack or destroy God himself, which of course is impossible, but that's how serious murder becomes, as the Bible explains right there in Genesis 9, verse 6. So loved ones, consider, consider that it's Imago Dei alone that becomes then the God-given foundation of all human rights. Think about that, right there. Every single human being ever has been born and made in the image of God. Here's a quote by Friedrich Nietzsche of all people, the same guy who said God is dead. This guy understood at least this concept. He said this, another Christian concept, but no less crazy, is the concept of equality of souls before God. Look what he says here. He knows this concept furnished the prototype of all theories of equal rights. That is so true. All theories of equal rights has come from the Christian biblical doctrine of Imago Dei. 
I was speaking with a pastor friend this week and talking about this series that we're about to do, and he told me about a, he ended up in a talk down for lawyers in downtown Toronto a couple of years ago. He's the only pastor there. I'm not sure exactly how he got there, but there was a speaker there who systematically defined and also proved that no other worldview other than the Judeo-Christian worldview can validate, can truly validate the call for universal human rights, dignity, and worth. Every other worldview cannot legitimately provide a foundation to find the value, worth, and dignity of every human being who ever lived. It's only ultimately found in the doctrine that we are learning about right now, again, at this time. It was Tim Keller who explained that it was Christians who first championed the sanctity of life throughout society. Because if you believe in Imago Dei, then you must champion the sanctity of life. Here's what Tim Keller said. He said, So eventually, the whole Western world adopted the idea of the image of God. Because when you believe in the image of God, listen to this, the circle of protected life expands. But if you don't believe in the image of God, if you only believe in capacities or some other trumped-up approach to why we believe in human rights, the circle will continually contract. It will get smaller and smaller, and fewer and fewer people will be protected. And he says, you see how incredible, crucial, and important the teaching of the image of God or Imago Dei is. Think about that, loved ones. This is so important, as important as ever. But you see, this is why our society right now finds themselves in a massive quandary. As I heard a preacher say, our society right now, again, is in a tough spot because they want the kingdom but they don't want the king. They want the kingdom and the benefits of the kingdom without the king. Our society right now wants all the benefits of Christendom, but they don't want Christ. But here's the reality. You can't have it both ways. And this is why our society, as we speak, is beginning to lose its mind. And that's not an exaggeration. We are literally beginning to present insane arguments that have no bearing in logic, that have no foundation of truth, that contradict each other all the time. You look at it and you're like, that statement, that statement, if you try to put it together, you have to be insane to do so. Why is that happening? It's the consequence of seeking to have a kingdom without a king. And this is what we are discovering and finding now on a daily basis. But consider the power and the implications of Imago Dei. What this means is, is that every single human carries intrinsic value. How awesome that is. Again, our world is increasingly trying to find and state worth on that which is extrinsic, on that which is external to us. For example, right now our society is obsessed with sexual identity. Obsessed with finding worth, value, identity in sexual makeup. My identity or value is found in external sexuality. You see, the problem is here, as you self-identify, if that's what you're being asked to do, your worth and value then changes by the day. You're deciding your identity and your value. The devastation here is what you desire becomes your identity. Now think about that. What you desire becomes who you are. But our desires are so corrupt. 
Our desires are so sinfully subjective. Our desires can't be trusted. Our desires lead us astray. Our desires are just so messed up in so many days. Mine are. If that becomes the place of my identity and my value, I am in serious trouble. The problem with this type of worldview, it just it's so fragile and floats all over the place, it ultimately rejects truth that has been universally accepted from the dawn of human civilization. That's what we're doing right now. We, we, we are literally rejecting truth that has been known, assumed, and been the foundation of society since, again, God created male and female. But it's Imago Dei that declares, you were created with the identity of an image bearer of God. Created that way. It doesn't matter what you do or what you try to think you need to be or some kind of external thing. The reality is internally created by the Lord as an image bearer of God. Listen, listen, which is ultimately fulfilled and can only be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So therefore, it's a Mongol day that declares powerfully, no matter what background, no matter what age, no matter what weakness you might have, you carry, you carry the exact same worth, status, dignity, and value as anyone else. Think of the implications here too, our intrinsic value. This profoundly means that people of every tribe, every language, every people, every nation carry dignity and worth and eternal value. That is why then we must see and rejoice that Imago Dei destroys racism. The gospel destroys racism because all are equal. All have been made in his image. In fact, Imago Dei with the gospel, truly biblically said, the Imago Dei gospel doctrine cannot comprehend racism. It has no category to understand how that could ever be. Because every single human being is given the designation and is in the condition of an image bearer of God. We are all equal, same, playing field, exactly under God as, again, man and woman together. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what nation you were born in. We are all the same under the Lord. The power and the glory of the doctrine of Imago Dei. I can't wait to get into that in the weeks to come. It means those with disabilities. It means those with serious sickness or those with mental limitations. Every single human being has been made in the image of God and must be treated as God's image bearers. So the implications of Imago Dei are huge. Our relationship to God, our relationship to creation, our intrinsic value, and then fourth response is this, the sanctity of life. The sanctity of life. It should be coming clear to you right now that Imago Dei necessitates and actually demands that all of life be sacred. Think about it. If every human being is an image bearer of God, well, this is when abortion is unthinkable, right? I mean, how could that possibly happen when we understand, again, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made in the womb? Every child in the womb is an image bearer of God. Listen, this is why pornography is deplorable. It is an evil distortion of human sexuality and perversion. The exact opposite of what God intended. 
I heard Matt Chandler say this. He said this. He says, um, there's never been in the history of the world a two-year-old girl wearing a princess dress that dreams that had a life in the, in the world of pornography. That's never happened ever. There's never been a two-year-old girl playing in a, in a princess dress and looking ahead to her life and dreaming of a world of pornography. That doesn't happen. Ever. That's the wickedness and the distortion and the corruption and the devastation of the evil of sin that eventually leaks in and starts to ruin lives. Just let that sink in. And keep thinking, loved ones, then of the implications of Imago Dei. The outflow of Imago Dei means that we will have a growing conviction for things like adoption and orphan care. We will seek to be ministering to those with special needs, standing against things like human and sex trafficking. Imago Dei means we will care for those in poverty, serving refugees and immigrants with love. We'll have a desire to minister to those in prison, as the Bible says, caring for those at the end of life and again seeking to end racism. All of this is the massive flow of Christ-like love that stems from the doctrine and the conviction of Imago Dei. And of course, that's why I read and I heard again this week that Christians continue to be at the forefront of all these causes. Christians historically and right now are outpacing every other demographic in society and caring for the poor and orphan and foster care. You'll never hear that from the media. You'll never hear that, but it's true. Because we, called by God as image bearers of God and seeing everyone else as image bearers of God, the love that fills us and the desire to be used of God to love in that way as well. Think of the compassion video that we saw today. That's an overflow of the doctrine of Imago Dei and the love of Christ, again, for this world hurting so much. That's a natural implication of us and a church. And by the way, let me say this too. As we go through this series, and again, I've been wonderfully challenged again, every single one of us should in some way have an outflow, an overflow of love for other people based on this doctrine. How are we serving right now in one of these areas that we consider every child and every elderly and every person, every demographic to be image bearers of God, to love them with the gospel? I challenge you right now, so many ministries in our church, again, fulfilling this mandate. Are you a part of that? Every single one of us who are truly in Christ should have an overflow of love based on Imago Dei. God, lead us in such love and compassion and grace and mercy in truth. But again, in love as the natural outworking of the implications in the sanctity of life. What a calling, isn't it? I mean, so many of us spending all our lives trying to earn so much money and never really taking time to love those who are also image bearers of God, so consumed with loving ourselves. That's a bad way to live. The right way to live is, again, as we even heard Pastor Greg say today within his prayer, as you love the least of these, Jesus says you loved me. That's Imago Dei right there. That's the reality, the implications of Imago Dei. And speaking of Imago Dei and the outcome, Jesus Christ and the gospel, let's end here today with this statement right here. Imago Dei has been distorted, but it will be restored. Imago Dei has been distorted, but it will be restored. The question here I'm getting at is this. What impact does sin have on us as God's image bearers? Has sin ruined us as God's image bearers? 
in our sin, can we still be like God? The answer is this. Sin has distorted God's image in us, but it has not been lost in us. It has distorted God's image in us, but it has not been lost in us. Certainly, since Genesis chapter 3, sin has corrupted us morally. Certainly, sin has corrupted our relationships. Sin corrupts our desires. Sin corrupts, again, our speech, our minds. Sin has corrupted our design purity before God. Wayne Grudem, he summarizes it this way on the screen for you. He says this, After the fall, then, we are still in God's image. We are still like God, and we still represent God. But the image of God in us is distorted. We are less fully like God than we were before the entrance of sin. Image bearers of God, but a distortion due to sin. But now, loved ones, enter the glory of the gospel, right? This is where we end today, how beautiful it is. This is why Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. Why? That we might be saved. That we might be saved and begin to be restored in the fullness of the image of God found in Christ Jesus. The wonder of the gospel is that we are saved, and the moment we are saved, we instantly begin to be renewed and transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. A few verses I want you to see here on the screen again pertaining to this. Colossians 3 verse 10. And we have put on the new self in the gospel saved in Christ, which is being renewed, renewed in the knowledge after the image, the image of its creator. See that? Jesus come and saves us and we begin to be renewed in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's another verse from the New Testament on this. 2 Corinthians 3. You should know this verse. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. Saved in Jesus Christ, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed now into the same image of Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See what's happening right here? Again, distorted, not lost, but we as believers in Jesus Christ are being transformed to look more and more like Jesus Christ. How beautiful is that? Genesis 1, made in his image. Genesis 3, the sin comes in, corrupts us, but then saved in Jesus Christ. And the transformation continues. Romans 8, next verse I want you to see here. Romans chapter 8, 29. Look at this. It really describes the whole gospel in our lives. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Look at that. You see, chosen before the foundation that we are saved in Jesus Christ, that we are transformed the image of his son in order that he may be the firstborn among many brothers, transformed in the image of his son. The power of the gospel, restoring us again to where and who we were meant to be. So sin distorts us. But listen, Jesus Christ restores us. He saves us. And begins to change us into his image. And of course, this will ultimately be fulfilled when Jesus Christ returns. Because as the Bible says, Jesus Christ himself is the very image of God. 2 Corinthians 4. 
The Bible says Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1. He's the very image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1 says that Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And when Jesus Christ returns, the Bible says, we shall be like him. Sin has distorted God's image, but Jesus Christ died and rose again that we might be restored. Let me ask you, taking nothing for granted right now, where are you today? Where are you today? Have you truly surrendered your life to to the Lord Jesus Christ? Turned from sin, placed your faith in him for forgiveness that you might be saved and begin the process of salvation, being renewed to ultimately one day be greeted by Jesus Christ forever in the new heavens and the new earth? You know, for 18 years, This church has seen those who bear God's image walk through these church doors in one way or another. And each person, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people over 18 years, really thousands of people, have been testifying that there must be more to life than this. There must be more to life than what we see around us right now. And every single person who's been saved in Jesus Christ has found their answer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has set every single person free who's genuinely sought him. He has saved them. He has changed them. He has given them purpose, joy, hope, and healing. Every single person who is genuinely sought to be saved in Christ, understand this world can't make it. They have been radically transformed again in the hope, the promise, the life, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Here's my prayer. You're next. My prayer is you're next. God today is speaking to you as one who bears his image. But ultimately this will be fulfilled in his son Jesus Christ as you love him, believe in him, turn from sin, confess their sins, ask for forgiveness and begin the path and the journey to eternal life. Again, without end. Lord, may it be so. The power of the doctrine of Imago Dei ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We're praying it's going to be a great month ahead. It's going to be an important month ahead for prayer. We pray you'll be with us in this joining and seeking the Lord to do amazing things. I pray he's working even as we speak today. Let's pray together, church, right now. God, I do pray so much that you are taking. There's a lot of content today, Lord. I trust you, Holy Spirit, that you are deciding the most important parts to uh, take root in hearts and minds. I pray, God, that you will be encouraging. I pray that you will be revealing truth, illuminating your scriptures. I pray, God, that you are teaching and, again, changing. Help us, Lord. We need you. Oh, God, we need you so much. Lead us as a church in this important time and in the days to come, Lord, and just with the potential of regathering and the joy and the hope and the, and the clarity and the mission of life. And, God, we pray in the midst of a world that is so dark that you will be throwing that grenade of light in the midst of it and allowing people's eyes to see and have joy and to, and to and a vision for the first time and purpose and love. I pray at homes right now that is happening. God, I pray that eyes are filled with tears and we with joy over the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray right now, even as we sing, Lord, it's your, it's your breath in our lungs. We are the ones you breathe into our nostrils the breath of life. Yes, Lord, may it be so. Lead us, help us. We're so weak and yet so filled with faith as you reach so many people here and across this world. We look to you, we love you, we need you. 
Again, Lord, would you bless and protect? Would you give joy and favor as a church right now as we begin to unpack this incredible doctrine together? In Jesus' name, amen.